You know what's interesting about time? Time, they say, allows us to heal. Time, they say, allows us to assess situations. Time allows us to... Who's calling me? Knowing... I'll have to call back. (laughs) Time, they say, assists us in making good decisions. Sit on it and tell me what you think later. Time allows for things to show themselves for what they are. Time, depending on which way you're looking, forward, back, or present, always gives you the simplest answer, the best answer, because time is the only thing separating man from eternity. You cannot be eternal if there is time. Time is something that is constructed. Time. So let's think of something. You know, I had a conversation earlier this morning And I would like to apologize for the delay, but as you guys know, I'm actually campaigning too, and I had a few things to deal with, and then, you know, I'm also a mom. (laughs) I also have other things, and uh, I got caught up on things that, you know, didn't really help me with time. Time. Time allows you to see things for what they are, time. So, Based on this conversation I had this morning with Gavin, we were talking about the liquefaction of human remains. And he said, well, did you see the really bunk thing that they're talking about that they're going to use um, astronaut blood to make bricks on Mars? How weird is that? And I said to him, well, it's, it's not weird because if you go to Monte Picchu, If you go to the pyramids, if you go to ancient Greece, if you look at almost everything that has been built, the mortar in itself all had blood as part of the cement. (laughs) People are going to be like, what? And what's weird is that a patent was actually given to a guy named Charles Laleman, L-A-L-E-M-A-N. Back in 1977, uh, he filed for it in 1980. They gave it to him where he presented an invention that relates to the use of blood in construction and building industry, whereby blood and extracts, extracts of blood containing hemoglobin are used as air entertaining, um, air and training, sorry, colloids. The recommended process for preparing a lightened material consists in associating a construction element chosen from the cements, mortars, and concretes with at least one air entraining colloid chosen from whole blood globules, red blood corpuscles, and hemoglobin. The invention also relates to the lightened material obtained during this process. And (laughs) what, what? Yes. So a lot of people don't seem to know that 
your blood, aside from being a aqueous uh, type substance, it actually has something called air and training agents, which is a solid substance. Um, and um, and an aqueous, if you want, uh, it's a colloidal suspension or an aqueous dispersion. Uh, air and train concrete is one of the greatest advancements that we've had in life uh, in regards to concrete. It's uh, by adding small air bubbles to the concrete mixture. And, and this is how uh, these are air and training agents. Um, uh, well, the, the bubbles are formed. You know how when you put concrete together and then you tap it to get the bubbles, right? Uh, they're a contaminant that entrains air. So basically there's air trapped in the concrete, right? Um, but if you increase the amount of air in the concrete, right, uh, it's, it's lighter and it could be considered not as hard. Well, that's not really true because, um, there was, you know, recent research that was released a few months ago, uh, by MIT saying that they're going to be using human blood, uh, sweat, tears, feces, urine, whatever. Well, not urine. They can't cause it has urea, but certain types of feces, I guess. And I know that sounds disgusting. But I guess liquid stool would 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 be ideal um, in order to uh, create bricks to build. And this is the idea that they said. Basically, it would help make bricks in Mars. In Mars. In Mars. Um, because it would be cheaper than to send bricks. And, you know... I, Going back to using human remains, using blood, uh, you know, to make bricks, you know, it sounds something terrible, right? But people have, there was a guy that actually used cattle blood. Um, when it, we, ah, uh, you know what? There might be a piece on that. Give me a second. Let me see. Hold on. Thinking about it. Um, there's got to be, there's a guy that actually used cattle blood to create bricks. Now, they weren't as strong as whatever bricks, but uh, people want. But the Independent actually reported about the Mars things uh, back in 2021. Okay, so this guy, um, he's an architect, and uh, he developed a process that uses cattle blood as a binding ingredient to make bricks for building construction. And basically, um, he wrote it as a thesis. He described how brick-making operation might work in the community of Siwa, Egypt. And he selected that community because uh, they were um, adversely impacted by the changes in the Sahara Desert. They have arid desert conditions. You know, they don't have water. So this idea was to create like a blood-glue mixture over a sand dune and then the dune is allowed to blow away and what it does is it leaves like a hollow shelter behind because it would mix with the blood and slowly it would thicken and create something like a like a reverse igloo think of it that way uh because of the blood and people would be like this is crazy this sounds nefarious this sounds but it's science and you know when i when i stress the statement of ourovoros right Ourovoros. 
that's exactly what scriptures also talk about. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh my God, we eat his blood, we eat his flesh. Ouroboros. It's consuming everything that God has provided here. Uh, you know, the fish, the plants that scream, the fish that scream. You think fish don't hurt when you when you catch them? What about the screaming lobsters? Oh, it's just air going through their shell. The blood of Christ that they keep saying. And oh, those edits. We are one in the same. You know, I'll take it this way. And, and this is the difference between knowing the words and living the words. Many people will say, you know, uh, you know, in Christianity, we're taught to, uh, you know, love our enemies, you know. And it sounds so sarcastic, right? How do you love someone that you can't stand, right? How do you love them, right? How do you love them? You know, in the Bible, it says you need to command them, you know, because it's the law of God that they must love their enemies. Hold on. How do you love them? There's no way that can happen. It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. I think that's uh, Matthew chapter five. I don't remember the verse I, I, off the top of my head. So how do you love them? I'll give you an example. Personal example. What if you knew, like for me, I knew who Patrick Berge was. What if you knew what that person is? No one would guess that I disliked him, that I knew he was set to cause a disruption, that I knew that he was against our nation, that I knew he was against humanity, that I knew all this. Okay. But I still embraced him with love. I gave him everything I could. I would still direct him bluntly. I would still applaud him for small achievements, young achievements. But why did I do that? Because if you actually knew what is in store for people that do wrong, what is coming for them that do wrong, you would cry for each and every one of them. Oh, I say this with such a heavy heart because there's so many people that I, that I, if you knew what is in store for them, you would also cry for them. You would also embrace them. Now, when you are blessed, and, and this comes from me who believes I'm completely undeserving of this, and you take it to take advantage of it and to see how it would help or advantage you rather than advance it for mankind or people kind. The punishment is even greater. It's very difficult to... Say, hey, I'm here with you. I'm your friend. 
I love you. I want you to succeed. Look at me. I'm your friend. I want you to succeed. I want you to do good. I want you to do what you should be doing and not what you are being guided to do. And you forge these friendships with people that you know the chips are stacked against them. When you know what is to come for others, it is almost your duty to embrace them. It is your duty to embrace them. Because one hug, one kind word, one applause, one memorable hug might be that that changes them. And while I myself, I guess because this is a show, and I understand the rage, the anger, the detest, the fear, and the betrayal everyone feels, I also get upset and I rage. But it is important that we reach out our hands to help people. The real meaning of our creator's law is by loving your enemies and your neighbors. And if you remember, oh gosh, what chapter was I? I don't remember. The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Where he was asked, like, who's my neighbor? And, you know, and he, and Jesus taught people to love all types of people, no matter what their personality was, how they look, their nationality, their faith. And that included enemies because as you embrace them, as you give them riches, knowledge, love, and support, and they piss all over it, you do not have to answer to anyone because now that's in his hands. You have done your duty, therefore he will take care of the enemies. You have done your duty, so now you say, my hands are now tied. This is not in my hands anymore. Now, forgiveness, oh, it's so hard. I'm struggling. And I guess... Uh, you know, one would then have to define what forgiveness is. You know, for me, I just, you know, if if I'm done with someone, I don't even look back. And I guess maybe that's forgiveness where you cut something off so hard that you stop thinking about it. You pretend you never knew it. You pretend it never happened and you eradicate any memory of it you know, consciously and deliver that to God. I guess maybe that could be kind of, uh, you know, forgiveness. 
I am finding it very difficult to forgive those that are perpetuating and disseminating information that is knowingly false, knowingly self-promoting, and uh, knowingly uh, uh, increasing the fog of this war. And I believe it's important to note that there are a lot of people that have no idea what is going on. People that you think do. And you will hear so many versions, and you have, where you're going down rabbit holes because for the past, you know, six, seven years, you've been given a fire hose of information with so much tragedy, evil, and disgusting, satanic, nasty, dirt, garbage, feces, that they, 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 you don't know where to start. <laughs> because right now, if you think about it, let's take a step back. You're one person, right? One person. It's just you. Just you. Standing in your living room, in your car, in your truck, wherever you are right now. And wherever you are right now doesn't even belong to you. You could be owning your car. You could be owning your house. It's really not yours because someone can come and take it away anytime they want. You have people in law enforcement unknowingly, knowingly, willingly, unwillingly. Hot. The mix is hot there, right? We've got 16 pairs that we can pick at that are literally there to control you. You have your children in an educational system that is there to control them. You have medications that are controlling our population rates. I've said this years ago too. And, and, and it's great that Elon Musk actually noted that, that the fertility rate, the survival that I learned in basic ecology that I had to take, I think it was like biology 401, the class, if I'm, Remembering correctly, or 431, no, 431 was plant physiology, whatever. Um, oh, 301. Biology 301 was ecology, and we were uh, conducting statistical scenarios of when a species would die out. We are clearly there. You have corporations that are feeding you poison, water, poison, weather, poison, clothing, poison. Everything is poison. The air you breathe is poison. They're trying to kill you and you're still standing there. And there you are. Okay, well, where do I start? I, what do I do? I don't want to do this. It's kind of like that, 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 that video that I showed that Broken Anthem put together. So this time spinner, a woman that commanded time, was stabbed and she stood in front of an army of demons. <laughs> it's just her. All busted up. And she's like, where do I start? Look at them. They have horns. They're built. They're ready. They're charging. I'm slow. I'm hurt. I'm this. And she draws this energy from the ether, from the bricks in the wall, from the air, from the water, from the sky. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to do that magical thing. But when you can't find a starting point, right? For anything, like you want to go to the store, you got to start somewhere. Where do you start? Just look at yourself. That's basically it. Start with you.
Start with understanding, yeah, this enemy is everywhere. I literally am in the enemy's house. The enemy owns me. I have chains that I cannot see. I cannot say something without them listening. I cannot do something without them watching me. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. So you have two options. Give up and just to come to it and be like, yeah, whatever, I'm just going to go with the flow. I get slaughtered, I get slaughtered. I die, I die. I just go with it because it's not going to affect me. It's going to affect future generations. So what do I care? You know, <laughs> you know, those are, those are options. Undiscriminating love is not only to others, but to yourself. And one of the biggest sins One of the biggest problems that I see is that people stand by and do not help. They will stand by and do not help. They just stand by. And then there's this other notion, right? What do you mean Jesus said we have to hate our father and mother to be his disciple? See This is where maybe one portion of that Luke portion was edited, but it doesn't mean that you have to hate them. It means how many of you have relatives right now that are not listening to what you have to say or your concerns and, and whatever. It doesn't mean that you hate them. It means that you understand that you've got to start somewhere and that's with you. That's with God. That's with figuring it out. And if they can't get there because your family doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in anything remotely divine, well, then you have to choose. Do I just stop talking about God? Do I just stop following what's right because they don't want to? That's basically what it means. It's all about context. Context. It's important to, 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 to point that out. And, and, and I hope that I am helping with that. Now, I thought today uh, we could just cover a bit of news. Oh, gosh, really want to talk about Texas, but it didn't happen yet. It should have happened yesterday and obviously not happening today. So I'm a little bit upset. I want to talk about the great things that your, um, uh, you know, I should know about and ears should hear about, you know, a lot of people, um, how do I say, um, They don't like people that can't wear a leash. And you know what I like? That in your state groups, everyone's like, you need to put this. You need to. No, no, no. I want you to see what infiltration looks like so you can identify it. I want you to see it. I'm the owner of the group. You can choose to leave. But what you're seeing right now is exactly that. But, you know, there are groups like lots of them. There's people in Washington in every single state. Actually, I shouldn't just call one out. Texas just is filing an amendment. The people of Texas have Whoa, they're like, nope, nope, we're going to keep on going and going and going and going. And this is what they don't like. And I know a lot of you fall into the pockets. So-and-so is important and they want to talk to me and they want to help. And I'm going to bring them in as a speaker. Don't fall for it. They're not important unless you say you're more, you're more important. I would rather have one of you come and speak to my audience 
than have any pretentious person who thinks they're important talk to you. You guys have more to say to each other than anybody else. Please do not fall into the pocket. I know a lot of people that have uh, reached out to many. I would, should I call them celebrities? Because, you know, I mean, they're self-made 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. Well, some of them longer than 15 minutes. But, you know, the titles and tiaras. I've had many of the state groups work with people for titles and tiaras in a lot of them. And a lot of people that people have seen me associate with. Again, I love everyone. I love everyone. And I will be by everyone until I'm no longer by them because they reject me. Right? They reject me. I won't cut off ties. They will have to do it first. Because at that point, I've done my duty and I lift my hands and I say, I'm done. Right? They terminate, not me. Now, a lot of people are like, but you don't look at what I do. I love everybody. I would hang out and, and still try to show love and affection to freaking Lucifer himself. Hey, everybody loves you. Hey, you're loved. Don't be such a dick. Hey, this. Hey, that. I would sit down with Pelosi and break bread. I would sit down with whoever is honey. I would sit down with John Brennan. I would sit down with anybody, even Hitler, and, and love them. So don't look at who I talk with and who I associate with because you do not know if <laughs> you listen to yourself, right? I will associate with everyone. I will associate with murderers. I will associate with, you know, godly people. I do not discriminate. I will associate with, you know, whatever pronoun someone wants to use, I will. And that is 100%. So, you know, when people were like, but you hang out and you talk, don't look at who I hang out and talk to. Your gut tells you more. So a lot of people throughout, you know, these past couple years have found to be very disappointed in people that have some uh, 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 illusion of status, Important in the movement, as they call it, and are disappointed. People that have, you know, invited them to help gather more of an audience or, you know, sent them whistleblower documentation or whatever. And all of them are starting to realize that those mainstream or those that are purported as being on the people's side are really not. And they're exactly what they're called, influencers. Influence operations need influencers. Influence operations, short-term I.O., right? Uh, short-term patriot games, putt-putt games, psychological warfare, influencers. They influence you, like Kate Moss walking down with a nice pink dress. She's influencing you to want to be in that pink dress or... <laughs> Hey, you know, suddenly they're coming out. Hey, I'm unvaxxed and I'm still here. There you go. That was the biggest psyop. Shut up. Why are you coming out in 2022 talking about that? You should talk about it when it was happening. But no, you didn't want to say it because your master said no. Now you got to up your game and you have to look like you're on the side of the people 
because your money's going down and this is going down. See, this is where you can start to step back and see. And the more people, your neighbor, your friend, the casual encounter in the grocery store, bring them into your world. Let them see. I know that there's a lot of state groups out there that have had these encounters where they're like, wait a minute. I thought that this group of people were supposed to be helping bring to the light all these things. They're not really nice. It's all a show. It's all a facade. They have this. I thought the FBI was supposed to help us and they know all this. They even command this and Twitter is a government agency, yet they're allowing this. Like, what is going on exactly? You live in their domain. You are under their thumb. You are under their control. And if you remember in 1984, the last line of defense was your thoughts. Thoughts become things. Thoughts and ideas create things. This is an idea. The idea is they have no power because they don't. Just because, what was it that that that, that prelude said? And 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 I'm going to play that again because even though um, you know, many people are like, "What is it?" I the process flow of that information was perfect, but there was a point that said it has to be of the water and the spirit, not flesh of the flesh. So they can in this reality construct. Command everything that affects you because you let it affect you, but they can't command it if you are not of the flesh. I can't, uh, you know, we say what goes. I, 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 I have been repeating this again and again and again, but it, it, it seems like I, I can't, um, <laughs> Uh, make it super clear, I guess. Um, and the reason I say this today on a Friday is because there are things that are happening that are going to confuse people. And, you know, people jump to the conclusion, well, this, like I had someone saying things like, oh my God, you know, a lot of people had questions about, you know, yesterday you were playing the audio thing and it was saying how, you know, Republicans, they're going to have the Senate and it's all going to be fine, but the GOP is bad. And it's like, what is wrong with people? Why are they so pedestrian? Why would they say that? First of all, what I aired was from 2018 before the elections which we needed. Second of all, in 2018, President Trump owned the GOP. They would not move a feather out of line because they needed his money. Okay? Okay? So here we go, breaking it down for people that are still not there yet. So they needed his money. The GOP never owned Trump. It was always the other way around. GOP doesn't like that. The GOP is supposed to own the candidates, not the other way around. Both of the political parties need to go. Both of them are a construct created in order to control the masses and the people they put up there. The Democrats clearly tell you they have casting calls. The Republicans, money talks because that's influence and power. Again, do not be pedestrian when you digest information. You need to remove yourself from that information. Remove yourself from that information and look at it objectively. I mean, it's kind of hard sometimes, but it's important. 
Now, many things are coming out uh, for people, you know, about J6. But I want to share a video with you. And you're going to be like, that's not J6. No. Bet me. Bet me. Bet me that this wasn't training. Bet me that these weren't live exercises. Bet me. Because I got this for the defense. Bet me. Take a look from the organization regarding everything. Now to some tense moments for former President Bill Clinton as he campaigned in Philadelphia for his wife. President Clinton was confronted by protesters who appear to be from Black Lives Matter. They were upset about gun violence laws Clinton had passed when he was in office 20 years ago. But he fired back, getting into a heated exchange for nearly 15 minutes. Wow. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. Tell the truth. You are defending the people who cause young people to go out and take guns. I listen to them, and they don't listen to me. You will never learn anything when you're talking. You know what this Critics say Clinton's anti-crime bill led to mass incarcerations disproportional, disproportionately affecting African Americans. Welcome, welcome, as we celebrate the 75th anniversary and third quarter quell of the Hunger Games. As always, ladies first. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. And so even if he lost, he insulted you, right? Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face. And then got down to the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? You're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. <laughs> Missouri State Senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And address the animal from that cabinet in a restaurant in a department store. It's sad for the domestic enemies to our voting system and our constitution. Our uh, uh, right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop on election day in November and they're not going to stop after Tim Hafey, uh, who's leading this. We saw little bits of him last night. He's a former U.S. attorney, former federal prosecutor. He gets it. He knows what these crimes are. I'm sure he's the one writing the script with all of these potential charges. Um, I think he will. I think they will. And uh, at least for the narrative. What should people be doing uh, beyond, I think, obviously, I, I'm sure you join me in thinking that it's really important for people to be watching and educating themselves uh, about this attack on America, I think, is, is a fair way to characterize it. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, what can people be doing to 
help this to break through, to help bring about the kinds of results which would uh, prevent this from happening again. Well, number one, they need to stay engaged. And so anybody who's on here is doing that. So kudos to you. Follow these hearings, read everything you can. It's critically important. I also think you should write your congressman. Um, I know that um, it seems like, oh my gosh, write my congressman, right? Like one voice in the wilderness. But that lesson about the Affordable Care Act, and they said the best method is by email. Uh, email their staff, go to their website, find your congressman, man, congresswoman. Uh, find, you know, they all have that little thing. Like con contact your congressman by sending, fill out this field and send an email. They really listen to it. Um, it may be some staffer who reads it, but they count them. They add them up and they take little polls based on the kind of tribe that they're getting from their for their member of Congress. And they tell their congressman, you know, like 72% of our writers, you know, this month are clamoring about January 6th and saying, you know, you need to issue a report or hold them accountable, change this law. So it matters. So I think that's something you can do. And that, my friends, is how you orchestrate a coup. And the question should be, could all these amazing military and political commentators make such a mistake and play right into the trap? Could it be that this round girl in Cleveland with anyone that came to her or was brought to her figured it out with uh, just the art of compartmentalization and standing back and setting a few fires every now and then just to disrupt their plan. Could be. See, a coup, which I've helped <laughs> around the world from a very, uh, mind you, before I joined the Navy, before I was approached by that officer at the embassy, I was approached by his predecessor. And his predecessor had tasked me to assist in um, patterns of behavior. And that's because prior to that, I was at a university studying. So before I swore in, I was playing war games without knowing I was playing war games. Almost felt like a movie, huh? But at that time I thought it was just like, I felt important. I was a kid. Okay. I was a kid. I was a kid and I was naive. And, 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 and I, and I lived in, in, in a time where I didn't fit in. Because I wasn't like other people, right? I didn't think like other people. I didn't talk like other people. I was different. And so from, uh, you know, I went to special schools. I, I was so fucked up as a kid because I didn't know how people were so dumb. And I, and I kept saying that. And, and, and it was because I was different, I, I was different. I was in different places, saw things differently, but I also wanted to be normal um, and tried all the normal things. You know, the first love of my life, guys, I guess, uh, you know, if you want to call it a boyfriend, was when I was a kid. There was this guy, oh, I was so in love with him, and his name was Nico. Well, my first one was Costas, but he passed away. 
But Nico was, I think, a year and a half younger than me. We met when I was uh, in the summer there in Greece. Oh, I want to say like I was like 12. And you know what was really cool? That it was a person that I could be in the same place and not speak a word. And I felt fine. And that person was like just there. And their presence simply uplifted. We held hands and, you know, and walked around and people would go out clubbing, you know, in the summer and go to these places, but but we didn't like that. We took his younger brother to the movies and hung out. We did, you know, stupid things that, you know, were more grandma style while we were teens. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, when I was leaving, because I, uh, you know, would go every summer. The one summer that I came and I was done with high school and I didn't know what to do with myself and I was going to be attending uh, a university, an American university, Laverne, and the University of Indianapolis in Athens in the future, I just signed myself up for school and again, high school, just to hang out with people because I was bored. And you know, when I, when I actually finally left to join, left to join the Navy, um, you know, we broke up and, you know, he got into drugs, heroin, uh, took him a long battle to get out of that. Um, you know, so I told him, come with me. I know you're Greek, but you know, once I get over there, you could come, you know, we're like best friends. Um, but it didn't happen. I mean, you know, now he has a, bouncing baby girl and uh, finally settled down and he's away from his addiction. So I'm, I'm so proud of him, but um, I, I, we, yeah, we would go clubbing at 12. I know people would be like, what in Greece, I'm telling you 14 year olds hang out by the ocean with a beer, right? It's called a beverage and clubbing. Yes, they do do that. Um, middle schools actually have parties at nightclubs where kids go dancing and drink. I kid you not. And that's, that's reality. And those that have been in Greece know that. So that's why I love my summers there. But anyway, so I remember that I didn't have much. I was always trying to fit in and I never did fit in. So it was very easy for um, for adults to manipulate me in the sense of, you know, making me feel like I fit in, even though they were older. So I remember... Um, playing these games, these pattern games of, you know, hey, you know, we have this vicinity in, in France and in Bulgaria and and this is it. What is, you know, let's see who can do this better. And it was more competitive. And they'd throw in some young people there, uh, you know, in their 20s or uh, there were no teens. There were 20s uh, that were all from the U.S. coming from the embassy. And we'd sit there and we'd play these games And, you know, I'd always win, right? And they'd be like, you're so great. And that's where, um, you know, when I finally did get into the university and I was um, uh, living in Athens that, you know, I went to the embassy and this naval officer completely decorated, like he had bricks all over, you know, as I was waiting to get my passport renewed and, you know, I obviously contested Uh, you know, how long I would have to wait or whatever. I was actually in, listen to this, in a Taekwondo outfit. I kid you not. Because I would um, train. I'm actually trained in Taekwondo. Um, I have a, um, I I got like the orange belt and then the blue belt. And then I had to go back. I got the green. It's like, it depends where you go, what, what pumches they make you do, whatever. So I was actually in a Taekwondo outfit, no joke, (laughs) and flip flops. 
And so this guy was like, you know, have you ever thought, you know, now that you're at university and stuff like that, you know, to, to, to join. And I was like, oh, I don't know who you are. Where's so-and-so? Oh, he's up in Germany. And that's where we would send you to process. And I conned my parents into signing me off and I lied and, and, and I went and I went. I, I, I think I said that I was going to my friend Titika, who's half German, half Greek. I just left. Right. <laughs> and I did the whole induction thing. And I remember um, feeling so proud of myself that I've achieved something that I even remember when I graduated boot camp, I was like crying, uh, even though I was taken out at one portion in my boot camp. And in Great Lakes, they have like the boot camp and then they have like training schools for electronic technicians. And then there's like this black school where they pull people out mid training to train them on other things. So I did that for a week and then I was chucked into another division a week or two or something like that. And I was chucked into another division uh, after that. And then I went to training and I was so excited. And then I get my orders and then more people visit me. And then they're like, yeah, you're going to get out. You're going to do this. And, you know, at that time I was so naive because I wasn't stepping outside the box. I was in the moment. Right. I was in the moment and I couldn't step back and take the 40,000 foot view to see what the fuck was going on that I was being handled. And I'm going to tell you this now. Could it be that of the greatest supposed political minds, admirals, generals, green berets, whatever, all got fucking sigh out because they were in the moment? Hmm? I think it could be. Because they were all in the moment of all of this happening, being attacked, the riots, this, that, that they missed it. These were all training operations for a decade. And rather than sitting back and watching it and, and paying attention, right, they thought they were so smart, just like I was. I thought, shit, these people, I can eat them for lunch. I'm smarter than every single one of these fuckers in the room. My chief that's talking to me is stupid. This guy can't do math on his fingers, let alone in his head. Now, I'm going to tell you what arrogance looks like, right? Because I was there. They would be thinking of how to solve something, and I've already done the solution. And, and in simple things, because when you're arrogant, you have no room to learn. And arrogance comes with people that believe that they're smart. So I was in that pocket of arrogance because I know it sounds really bad and I feel horrific because you stop living once you stop learning, right? So at that point, I wasn't even living. I was just going with emotions because I would just accept however I saw things and nothing could waver me and they would say things. I'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then it would be like, fuck you. I had this huge arrogance because I would consider everybody stupid and I didn't even see what they were doing to me or how they were guiding me. I can tell you this. The last um, three assignments that I had after 2005 were supposed to be dead missions. I should have not come out alive. I remember that when it was orchestrated, it was orchestrated in such a way 
and this is, we're talking Syrian, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean front, where, you know, I had already seen the light and I guess this was my punishment. Well, if she survives that, which they knew I would, right? Um, even though they were burning identities, you know, I, I stuck it out. I remember sitting somewhere and I was actually terrified. And while everyone was talking and there was panic on one side, anger on the other, like I was like, shit, I'm, I'm going to be dead. Like I am going to be dead, dead. I believe that the person that was supposed to be handling me literally shit his pants because he didn't see the response he expected. The normal response would have been panic. It's almost like the panic that you know you're walking through that gate and you're going to die. And at that point, I was quiet. I was standing up taller. My shoulders were back. And it was at that point that I was like, I had that moment where I was like, you know what? This isn't shit. And I got this. And I'm going to go through it. And I'm going to have to eat this. I'm going to have to eat this dirt. I'm going to have to go through all this crap. But I'm going to beat this. And I'm going to play as stupid as possible. I was simply still in the moment. And all I remember is I'm sitting in this room. And I'm like, they didn't brief me on this. They didn't tell me it was going to go down like this. What the? F-? And it was try. It was attempted to be stopped. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my family, my kids, my mom, my dad. Like I was thinking of all these things. And then all I could hear was my heartbeat. And that was it. And I was like, it'll be fine. There were moments, I'll tell you. That I would like sit in a bathroom and there, their bathroom would be like a faucet that was constantly like a hose going. And I would do that in order to sleep and cry so nobody could hear me. And to mask any sounds if I spoke or if I cried or if I whimpered. I thought I was going to break, but I didn't. I did not because all I did was like, nope, nope, nope. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And remember, I'm the awkward person because those of you that have met me in person, you know that I'm kind of socially awkward. I don't have much of a filter and people will, um, people can realize <laughs> that I'm kind of like not, um, not politically correct. I like truth. In, in simplicity. And, you know, if you're my friend, I'll tell you, why are you wearing that? You look like shit, change it. And you'll be like, damn, I felt cute. And it's like, yeah, you're not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm that person <laughs> socially awkward. But that was a time that I realized that this is, they are so well organized that they will break you in any shape or form they can. And that was the time that I learned how to hone into being in the moment and just stepping back, right? And I stepped back and watched. So I think when I was debriefed in, 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 in 2007 uh, in Crete, 
I remember that the only thing I kept chanting in my head was, do not look like you're pissed off. 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 Express frustration of the situation. You completed the mission. You did it. Do not be pissed off. Do not be pissed off. Do not be pissed off. That's all I kept saying in my head because I had learned at that point between Syria, Greece, and Turkey how to manage it, right? Do not be pissed off. Do not be pissed off. And I was not pissed off. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, what was fucked up that during that time, they didn't even tell me, you know, what was going on. And then two days later, my brother passes away. Right. And so I was really, really, really upset. Right. And again, do not be pissed off. Do not be pissed off. And that's where I said, I am going to the States and with my father and my brother having died both months apart and not able to attend their funerals. And, and, and I am, um, I'm going to go to the U S and I'm going to go into medical school. And they all were like, what? And I was like, I'm doing that because cancer and I'm going to research it, which is true. That was a motivating factor, I guess, in a sense cancer. I mean, you have to define cancer. Cancer could be just the disease or cancer could be something that plagues and spreads, you know, think of the word cancer now. And, and they let me because, you know, I did it the right way. I towed the line correctly and I still had my job while I was in school and they made it almost impossible, but I pulled that shit off. And I'll tell you what, they didn't even realize I don't think they even realized what I was doing. You know, again, how was I at the university sitting with the guy that was dealing with this? How did they know? You know, how was I researching the quorum sensing? How was I getting into the plants? How was I getting into the AIDS malaria? How was I getting into, you know, the whole respiratory SARS, uh, right? The whole everything. They didn't even see me coming. Because I was able to compartmentalize. And now that video that I just showed you, showed you their whole rollout. It wasn't done in a year. It wasn't done in a day. It wasn't done in a month. It is very well executed. So again, again, they have been doing this for a long time. Could it be that all those, this is the question that you should ask yourself while we take a break. Could it be that all those out there that claim to be proponents of truth and fight for America and love their country. Could it be that they really didn't see it coming either because they were in it? Because I, I remember being on air saying they just killed a guy. They beat a guy to death and people were like, Oh my God, they're so corrupt. And, and nothing was being done. I want you to take a look at it. I guess what part of it could be shock, right? But think, all these people you see on your TV and your social media that tell you they know. Uh, what the fuck do they know? When they're micro-targeting things that don't really matter and they're not going to the source of it. A coup is not an easy feat. You need a lot of infrastructure. Infrastructure. Money. Training and time decentralizing your operations from financials to active to uh, recruitment to embeddingment to 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 you need 
a good footing. Like I said, my job was money and energy. And in order to make things go, you need money. So <laughs> I want you to think about it. Think of any person you see in the movement is pro-America, America first, except for the president. Keep in mind, I'm not mentioning the president. But everybody else, I mean, they could have like some Russian named Boris fucking attached to this whole shit, you know, sitting there as a nuke for if they figure it out, right? As a nuke. Again, I want you guys to take a moment during this break where, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to listen. Um, we should listen to some music. You know what I want to listen to? Hold on. I want you to um, <laughs> to think if indeed you believe that they were duped because they were in it, or maybe they're actually part of it. I like Boy George, don't you? Boy George. I love Boy George. Thank you for the rants, everyone. And again, thank you to all my subscribe star people because that's actually helping me save, save, save for what I need for my um, to pay for my retainer for my lawsuit. Now, I want to put it into perspective. So you saw how long it took the left to organize. But what if I told you that the right and all those fancy smart people, all these undercover exposés and all that have played right into their hands? Think. Think of that for a second. Buddy out. Whether Trump tries to steal the election or Biden wins and tries to continue the same policies. Let's get together to stop them. Only popular resistance has set a limit to what Trump can do. Imagine what would have happened if protesters had not filled the streets. If anti-fascists had not shut down white supremacists. If there had been no response as police murdered and deported. It's up to us to prevent a second Trump turn, regardless of media disinformation. Regardless of Democrats' willingness to cede power. That could mean mass protests like the ones that took place over the summer. It could mean coordinated economic disruption. Rather than focusing on symbolic marches, go where your actions will exert the most pressure. Be careful not to present a vulnerable target to far-right vigilantes. Everybody out means we don't trust politicians to control our future. It means we won't legitimize institutions that have never looked out for us. It means coming together to determine what our lives should be. Ourselves, directly. This is not just about Trump preserving democracy. If Biden wins the election, we must continue to fight against every form of oppression. If Biden wins, there will still be police, prisons, deportations, ecological destruction, capitalism. A Biden victory is not the end of this struggle. It's just the beginning of a new chapter. Huh. Just the beginning of a new chapter. See, that's the thing. 
These people are so hell-bent on power that they don't see that the very people that they're supposedly, that they are supposedly fighting against. The, the right is telling you, ah, Antifa, ah, this, ah, that. right, oh, the left is crazy, Pelosi, nah, 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 Congress, nah, 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 nah. What you don't get is that the left isn't looking for that. The left is. The left is looking for power because there's people more powerful than them that are driving these people that you just saw. And the thing is, while these idiots at the GOP and DNC are fighting over petty shit, the real enemy is already here. Already here. And the thing is, President Trump, like it or not, he represents the people breaking the mold People breaking the mold. If he ran on an independent ticket today, he would win hands down by both the left and the right because there's leftists that are like, nah, man, this fucked up. That's what you mean? We want we want people to feed us for free. I know a bunch of people that may have aligned with the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, when they find out that the Black Lives Matter movement funds to eradicate black people, that's when they wake up. And a lot of them have started waking up. So. The question you should be asking yourself, obviously, the Democrats and the Republicans are the enemy because they're using us as pawns to fight their micro war when the big one is the one that we're losing. But again, President Trump, he's not part of that. He has the biggest snakes and snitches right by his side right now. All reporting for duty. To all these idiots that fell into that trap thinking people are too stupid to take the 40,000 foot view and take a look and see, you know, these 72 different factions that are coming down on them all representing one after another. Ma. And the cool thing is, is that Trump and his family went through the motions of everything that grooms these people. And that's what's incredible. You saw how long it took them to get us to where we are, to mold people, oh, Biden, Biden, Biden. But now they're flipping on Biden, too, because the enemy that trained them, which the Democrats thought was for them, was actually against all of them. And this is where it gets down to. That is how they win. So let me show you another little clip. That was sent to me by a freaking genius. Give me a second. Where is it? Is it this one? Okay. And these are, remember, from a couple years ago. July 28th, the Nazis of Patriot Front attacked Occupy ICE in San Antonio. This August, the same fascist groups that terrorized and murdered people last year are preparing to rally around the U.S. again. They are the street wing of the Trump agenda. We have to shut them down wherever they organize. Portland, Berkeley, Charlottesville, Washington, D.C., anywhere they try to recruit. Above all, we can't let them stop us from standing up to the violence of the state, fighting back against ICE, murderous police, and the rise of authoritarianism. All out against fascism. All out this August. August, so last year. 2020. I keep saying last year. Almost like I know it is. So let's let's get to... Um, 
just digesting that for a little bit so you can understand that anybody telling you it's Republican versus Democrat obviously has no idea what they're talking about. And now all of them are going to start to change the narrative because all these idiots are also trying to recruit and create affinity groups. We've got people that are so high up there, highly decorated, some of them very rich, others, you know, others that are just, you know, postured others that were created some that came through modeling agencies you know the news the media your influencers all part of influence operations that are going to tell you that they know how to beat this because they're looking at it on a micro level when you can take out the beast from the top but they don't want to do that because then they lose control and that hand all to you and that's a problem because you know they need control <laughs> that's the way it is uh we can't let the people have control. We can't let the people win. We can't have that happen. So apparently, I know why they're calling me. Apparently, the verdict on Steve Bannon's um, criminal contempt trial. You know, I was found in contempt. Remember how they said that I stole, but it was actually contempt? <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a thing that they do. But this one is about content charge for Bannon about not going when he was not released under executive privilege. And he went the minute he was released. Let's take a look at what ABC has to tell us. You know, they're, they're smart and, and they know what's going on. And, you know, they're honest, of course. I wasn't wearing it. This is an ABC news special report. Good afternoon. I'm Whit Johnson in New York, and we're coming on the air because the jury has reached a verdict in the trial of former President Trump's chief strategist, Steve Bannon. Bannon was charged with two counts of contempt of Congress, one contempt count involving his refusal to appear for a deposition, the other involving his refusal to produce documents to the House committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot. Both are misdemeanors. We're now learning he has been found guilty on both counts. The jury, eight men and four women, deliberated for about three hours, again, delivering that verdict guilty on both counts just moments ago. Let's bring in our chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, who's been watching this trial closely. And Pierre, the defense from the Bannon team was interesting. It was sort of a scattershot approach, if you will, trying to cast doubt in different areas. It seems the jury didn't buy it. They did not buy it. And here's the Justice Department's position in prosecution. It was very simple, that the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection had a subpoena that was legal and enforceable. And they maintained that Steve Bannon had a duty and an obligation to respond to it. And when he did not, it was a crime. Now, he now faces up to uh, two years in prison, a maximum sentence of up to two years in prison and a fine of up to $200,000, depending on whether these uh, two counts would run parallel to one another. And with, again, the bottom line here is the Justice Department maintained that he had to comply that by not responding at all, not producing a single document whatsoever and refusing to come in for a deposition, that that was unacceptable. And this gives more clout to the House committee investigating uh, the January 6th violence in terms of that you must respect their subpoenas. And Pierre, I want to get into that more. Let's bring in our chief uh, Washington correspondent, John Carl, because Pierre brought that up. What this means for the House committee, the January 6th committee, and really the power of Congress to be able to subpoena people and force them, if you will, to provide documents and testify. 
This is an incredibly important case uh, beyond the specifics of Steve Bannon's, uh, the charges against Steve Bannon or uh, the January 6th committee. This is really about the power of Congress to conduct investigations and to issue subpoenas. Uh, the, the Trump administration uh, had uh, frequently flouted subpoenas uh, without uh, uh, much impact at all. The simple truth of it is with uh, Congress has no power itself to enforce its subpoenas. Uh, so in this case, they went uh, to the Justice Department, went through the justice system. Uh, the Justice Department took on the case, uh, prosecutor, and has, has reached two guilty verdicts, uh, reestablishing mm-hmm. uh, that Congress's subpoenas should come with the force of law. And if you defy them, uh, you can be prosecuted. You can go to jail. And we noted there were a few, uh, John, thank you, a few different defense strategies um, from Bannon's team. One of the things that they were saying was that Steve Bannon w- was now willing to testify after former President Trump sent a letter saying that he would waive the executive privilege. That, that was part of their argument as well. And the Bannon team also saying that they thought the date was flexible, that it, it wasn't a hard deadline, even though uh, the language was clearly stated in the documents and letters that they sent to Steve Bannon. Uh, let's bring in Kate Shaw, our legal analyst and uh, ABC News contributor, to talk more about this, because you know, not only is this significant, Kate, to Congress and the power that they have, Kate's joining us on the phone right now, but we haven't seen a, Kate like, uh, a case like this when it comes to contempt of Congress for decades. That's right, Whit. I do think, as John was just saying, this is a very important kind of reset in terms of congressional authority. The Trump administration, many officials within it, treated congressional subpoenas like invitations or suggestions, but not like legally binding orders. And this is a reminder that they do carry the force of law, um, although it is the case that the Justice Department, under current practice, is required to participate in the enforcement of these subpoenas. But you're right, Whit. It has been decades. It's basically post-Watergate that you have to go back to before you see successful contempt prosecutions like this. And in some ways, you don't need to do it very often to basically send the message to everyone else who's subject to a subpoena that it's not an optional document, that there's an obligation. So I, I am sure that's what the January 6th committee is hoping, you know, potentially you know, recalcitrant witnesses will take from this that they actually do need to comply or they too could face prosecution and conviction. Kate Shaw for us. Thank you. We're getting a little bit of color from inside the courtroom from our team in there telling us that Steve Bannon was stone-faced when the verdict was read and that his attorney seemed deflated uh, at the news of that coming through. I want to turn back to John Carl, if I could, because, uh, uh, John, circling back to this point, about Steve Bannon suggesting sort of late in this trial here, like as, as, as the jury was about to look at it, that, wait a minute, may, maybe I will go back and testify before Congress. After this verdict now, is there any chance that Congress could still come after him and get Steve Bannon to talk? Well, what's interesting about the way this works is uh, he can be punished for defying the subpoena if convicted. Uh, as we mentioned, the maximum sentence for each count is a year. Uh, but there is nothing that the court can do to compel him to testify. It's, it, it's you face the penalty if you don't, but nothing can compel him. His offer to talk before the committee uh, was portrayed by the prosecution as a simple ploy uh, to avoid what is happening now, to avoid this trial and to uh, avoid a, what, what was believed to be a very likely conviction. This was not a complicated case. It was not taken seriously. And, you know, the, the, the January 6th committee has moved beyond. I mean, they, they, they wanted to talk to him. They issued this subpoena 
back in October of last year, early phases of their investigation. That's when they wanted to talk to Bannon. That's when they wanted to get his documents, uh, you know, to come in as they're wrapping up their, their, their main hearings in the summer and say, ah, here I am. Turn on the cameras. I'll come and talk to you. Uh, they, they didn't have much interest in that at all. And as we noted there, the uh, primetime hearing wrapped up last night. They're taking a break for a while. We do expect to hear more hearings coming up in the fall. John Carl, Pierre Thomas, Kate Shaw, our thanks to our entire team. We're going to have much more on ABC News World News tonight, later this evening. We are also monitoring uh, the health of President Joe Biden. We are expecting an update at any moment on his condition after his COVID diagnosis. His doctor saying that his conditions have improved, but giving us some more details on the symptoms. He did have an elevated temperature for a period of time and is also using an inhaler. So any moment now, we're expecting word from the White House. We'll break back on the air uh, once that happens. In the meantime, we'll be back here with the entire World News Tonight team. You can get updates on ABC, abcnews.com and alerts on the ABC News app. For now, I'm Whit Johnson in New York. Have a great day. That, you know, I'm, running. Said I'm, that running. I'm running. I'm running. I'm running. I got it. I got it. Okay. So corny. Do you guys remember when everyone sent you down that rabbit hole of corny? Do you guys remember that? How they told you that it was a misspelling for Comey? Huh? Because you're spoon fed. Huh? Do you remember that? Do you remember how they told you about Comey? Do you remember how they told you that corny is Comey? Well, let me ask you a question. Typo. What's more realistic? Let's look at that. You know what? Let me pull out my scratch pad, right? Let's do that. Let's pull out my scratch pad. Let's do that. Let's see. We're going to be typing. Because I'm going to show you how ridiculous every person out there is that tells you that they're in the know and they know what they're talking about. You know what? I'm going to give it a few minutes. I'm going to give it a few minutes, a few minutes where um, we're going to listen to a quick tune because I want you guys to share the shit out of this because I want all these losers that told you that they knew what they were talking about. And even those that think that they're the best, right? Oh, and they're so close to the president that they know. Let's watch this segment on Bannon while you guys share this. So I'm about to destroy all of them. The jury right now has, has the Steve Bannon, Bannon case. They began deliberating just about 40 minutes ago. That after a climactic final day of arguments. Prosecutors closing out their case by arguing Bannon, Bannon chose defiance and lawbreaking when he no-showed a congressional subpoena. Bannon's defense injecting politics throughout its closing arguments. Let's get to the courthouse and CNN ceremony. Murray, Sarah, tell us more. That's right. The jury is deliberating and it comes after the prosecution laid out what was a pretty simple closing. They said this is a guy who did not show up. He chose his allegiance over Donald Trump, over the law. He defied the subpoena. He doesn't believe the rules apply to him. They compared it to a parking ticket, which is a pretty relevant analogy for a Washington, D.C. jury saying you can either pay it or you can appeal. And if the government rejects the, your excuse for not paying it, you have to pay it. You don't just get to snub it and walk away. It was a rockier closing for the defense. Obviously, a lot of arguments have been foreclosed on them from the judge. There was objection after objection, but they basically argued that, you know, sometimes people try to silence their political critics and that politics should not be a part of that. Once again, arguing that Steve Bannon is innocent. Of course, we will see how all of this sits with the jury. It just went to them right around lunchtime. 
If Bannon is convicted, he faces 30 days behind bars. But of course, as you might expect, it already appears like his lawyers are working toward an appeal, even as we're still waiting for the verdict. Waiting for the verdict. Sarah Murray outside the courthouse will bring us any new information if it comes this hour. Sarah, thank you. Joining our conversation now, the CNN legal analyst, former federal prosecutor, Elliot Williams. Uh, Elliot, it was a very quick trial. The prosecution saying this is simple. As Sarah said, he got a subpoena. He tried to appeal it. He was told no, and then he still defied it. Uh, do you see any any wiggle room here for the jury, or is this clear cut? Well, it, it's clear cut in how simple it is, John. It's not racketeering. It's not a big criminal conspiracy. It's you're basically proving three things. Was there a subpoena? Did he know there was a subpoena? And did he did he violate it knowingly? Like, and again, as Sarah had said, there's a path to objecting to a subpoena. You bring it to the court. So it's very straightforward. Now, look, every prosecutor in history has had their heart broken by a jury uh, that you thought where something seemed uh, obvious and straightforward. But the crime itself here is very straightforward and simple. Let me get your take on, on last night. A lot of the conversation among the committee members or, you know, they, the committee members believe they have laid out a case for the Justice Department against former President Donald Trump, as well as other people, but including the former president. Uh, you're a bit tad more skeptical there. I just want to get your perspective last night in the sense that they did make clear uh, that you have to prove Donald Trump knew certain things. They did make clear last night that within 10 or 15 minutes of getting back at the White House from the ellipse, he was told he knew he could see on television and people came to him that there was violence at the Capitol. Uh, we, we know that he knew from watching uh, that the, his tweets carried power, that people in the crowd were reading his tweets and looking at his tweets as he went. And we got this from the top military official in the United States of America, General Mark Milley, says the vice president called, people on Capitol Hill called, not Donald Trump. Listen. Yeah, in the commander in chief, you got an assault going on on the Capitol of the United States of America. Nothing. No call. Nothing. Zero. Uh, it's a glimpse at the character of Donald Trump, uh, and you can only shake your head at it. The president of the United States watching happily, apparently, as an attack on his government unfolded. But you don't see, at least from last night, any new wow pieces of criminal evidence? Yeah, any new wild pieces of criminal evidence, that's not to say that they weren't there before. Look, I think you have a pretty clear path to obstructing Congress, obstructing an official proceeding, conspiracy against the United States. It's a tougher path to things like inciting the crowd um, based on the information you have. Look, you have a lot of evidence that the Proud Boys were conspiring with each other uh, and with the Oath Keepers to engage in acts of violence that day. You have a tougher path to the president. Now, the kinds of things you were talking about, John, him watching at 1.39 p.m. and Fox News indicating that Donald Trump had a specific hold over these people, his knowledge that he could get to them if he wanted, that's what you would uh, need to establish to get to an incitement charge, but that's just a tougher charge to prove. All I'm saying here is that the evidence that came out yesterday didn't add anything new. That's not to say that there wasn't plenty of evidence in the record uh, in the six or however many hearings there was there were prior to last night. So you guys ready for this? So let me let me tell you how misinformation happens. Let me show you how things are done. Corny. Everybody told you it was an OR, OCR uh, issue. And I've learned a lot about OCR only because uh, one of the members on my campaign team is legally blind and therefore uses it. So I have to be mindful not to share pictures or screenshots. Everybody told you it was Comey, right? They told you uh, that, uh, you know, that was an OCR issue, that uh, Corny is actually Comey and, you know, that's the way it is. So let's get into my little scratch pad. All right. 
I'm hoping that my scratch pad has good font size. Let me see if that comes up all right. Yeah, okay. There we go. All right, so homey, homey, right? And you could say that the M is equal to RN, right, in a way. But when you're typing, uh, you're more likely to make a typo when you are typing things like CUNY. So I'm trying to type it fast. M doesn't go there, actually. Staying at the top of the keyboard, right? Because you want to type in corny, right? You do corny. You know how it is? Have you guys ever written the word this? Have you ever typed this by accident? Or maybe you've typed, you know, this by accident because it's fast. What if you want to write the word Cooney, but you're doing it really fast? You would probably do something like that. Right? Like that. Or like that. Right? It's all on the same line. Cooney, 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 Cooney. Cooney, Cooney. Who, who the fuck is Cooney? What are you talking about, Tori? Who's Cooney? <laughs> So now you got to see who Cooney is. Let's go. Let's go to James Cooney, Office of New York State Attorney General for 11 years, Director of Emergency Litigation. Who's this? Who is that? That's James B. Cooney. See, there are a lot of parallels that people can draw and people can see. There's a lot of people that can be, not be, right? Right? You know what's really funny? Right? You guys have seen Comey's page, right? What's his middle name? Oh, it's a B. That's right. James Brian, right? With an E, Comey. It's like, you know, Nikki with an I. Right? <laughs> Nikki with an eye. Hold on. There we go. Nikki with an eye. I know it takes a while. It takes a while. James Comey. James B. Comey. Like James B. Cooney. Corny. 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 Corny Comey. Corny Comey. Corny, corny, corny. It's Cooney. Corny. Cooney or Corny? Which one is it? Who is James Corny? Who's James Corny? Who's James Corny? See, could it be Cooney? Cooney, Cooney, Corny? Corny, Corny, Cooney? Cooney, Corny. Hmm. Corny, Cooney, Corny, 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 Cooney? Can we say that? Corny, Cooney? Thank you, Garrett. J.P. Cooney, J.B. Cooney, J.P. Cooney, J.B. Cooney. You know what? Strzok Jr., one, two, three, J. James P., J.P. Cooney, J.B. Cooney, J. Cooney. Sign on, sign off. I'm going to leave it at that. 
all the chips are stacked against you. Every single one of you. Every single one of us is in a hole that you can't even see. Let's just put it that way. You're done. It's over. All right. You live in their hell. They own you. They watch you. They see you. They see who you text, who you call, everything. So we should just give up, right? We should just take a step back and just not do anything because it's over, right? What do we do? You don't consent. They don't give a shit. What do we do? You don't want this. They don't give a shit. What do you do? What do you do? You sit there. You take it. What do you do? Oh, we're going to support the Republican Party. Yeah. Let me show you about the Republicans for a second. Let me show you who the Republicans are. To talk about social security. I'm pleased to be joined by uh, so many of my colleagues from across the country who understand what Martin Luther King called the fierce urgency of now and why the United States Congress has to act. It's been more than 51 years since the United States Congress has enhanced the benefits of Social Security. Richard Nixon was president, and a gallon of milk cost 72 cents. Much has changed in 51 years. And now I'm proud to announce today that the Ways and Means Committee will be marking up Social Security 2100, a sacred trust, next Wednesday. And in doing so, the first time in 51 years, Congress will be moving forward to enhance benefits for those who need it the most. Why do I say that? Everybody in America knows what this pandemic, this global pandemic that we're in, has caused unbelievable harm across the globe and here in this country. But who has it affected the most? Of the close to one million people who have perished in the United States, over 756,000 of them are over the age of 65. And who is the group that has been hurt the most by the ensuing inflation that comes from a global pandemic and a war in the Ukraine. It is people on fixed income. It is the more than 65 million Americans that are on Social Security. I want to commend President Biden for taking the leadership in this area who campaigned across the country assuring Americans that Social Security was a sacred trust, which indeed it is, because it has never missed a payment. We used to have to go back to 1935 and talk about the Great Depression. We only have to go back as far as 2008 and 2009 because people understand during so the great this recession. is a democrat using truth and not truth to promote his agenda but the truth is it's the republicans that are saying to just get cuts across the board 
You know, they, those people in office don't have to ask for social security. They get a nice pension for life because they served with their gym membership. They've already spent all the money. That's why they're asking to get union money. So if the union people give them the money, they could dump it back in there just to cover themselves just enough before they hand over, you know, the, uh, actual reins to those that are really orchestrating this to their masters bow down truth. People don't like truth. And Steve, come on, Mother Jones, man, got this. Which bitch was in your midst that I told you about, Steve, that leaked this? The Democrats, more of our people vote early that count. Theirs voted male. So So they're going to have a natural disadvantage, and Trump's going to take advantage of it. That's our strategy. He's going to clear himself a winner. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, it's going to be a firestorm. You're going to have Antifa crazy, the media crazy, the courts are crazy. And Trump's going to be sitting there mocking, tweeting shit out. You lose. (laughs) I'm the winner. I'm the king. Midge. And he'll be all over. He'll be be going, where's Hunter? Is Hunter on a crack pipe? I mean, no. He'll be – because then it doesn't matter. Remember, here's the thing. After that, Trump never has to go to a voter again. He's going to fire Ray, the FBI director. He's going to say, fuck you. How about that? Because he's never going to – he's done his last election. Oh, he's going to be off the chain. He's going to be crazy. Also, also, if Trump is if Trump is losing by ten or eleven o'clock at night, it's going to be even crazier. <laughs> no, because he's going to sit right there and say they stole it. I'm yeah, going to court, uh, agree. I'm directing the attorney general to shut down all ballot places in all fifty states. It's going to be no. He's not going out easy. Trump, if Biden's winning, Trump is going to do some crazy shit. The infamous press conference where Trump falsely stated. So, you know, obviously Steve was warned about the woman that recorded it. Right. And I, I said it. I mean, we don't agree on a lot of things, you know, um, but I will run through fire for that guy for what he's doing for our country, regardless if you like him or not. And regardless how you see, uh, he's a little bit. <laughs> thrown off because he's realizing, um, you know, how things are going. But, you know, the, the, the question is, was this planted? Was this done on purpose? Or did he use intelligence that was already provided? <laughs> I don't know. But it always seems that it always starts back to Mother Jones with all of these. Wasn't that where the dossier started? And then if you actually dig into Mother Jones and figure out who Mother Jones really is, you know, then you start to unravel it. And what you don't realize is that they're doing all of this in front of you and you're happily liking, sharing and subscribing to their shit because they say the right thing. It's um, it's it's anytime they move their lips, it's a lie. And we're at the point in society where saying the truth is a revolutionary act because, you know, (laughs) who tells the truth anymore? Like, why are we telling the truth? Why should we tell the truth? There's no point in telling the truth. Truth will just get you in trouble. Truth will just get you where people don't like you. Truth is not going to help you. So we should just stop telling the truth altogether, right? We should just go with whatever narrative there is because, Nobody likes the truth. Nobody does. They piss all over it because they have an idea and they think they know who it is. Again, again, truth. Nobody likes the truth. Everybody is against the truth. We don't like the truth. The truth is it. Like it or not, it's true. So at the end of the day, 
If you don't like what you hear, it's too bad. It's true. I don't like what I see in the mirror every day. I don't like the fact that I'm wearing size 16, size 18 pants, right? But it's true. I can't change it. Okay. I don't like that. My hair is frizzy. I can't change it. It's true though. I don't like that. I'm not photogenic. It's totally true. I don't like the fact that I thought that I knew everything and I don't say that to yourselves. No matter how much you think the people are behind you, they will drop you faster than anything when you don't say the truth. Tori, you're so wrong. You knew that they weren't telling the truth, yet you stood by them. I love them all. I called you because I was watching the hearing, and I saw Jason Miller say that, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought, that's that's just an absolute lie. That's just not true. And then I watched all this unravel. I watched the I watched the media, you know, take it and run with it. Then I saw the late night shows last night just try to make you look like a, a goofball and abuse you. And I happen to respect you so much and love you. I called you to tell you to remind you that I was with you that night and you had nothing to drink. You were all business. In fact, I remember you were you're at your laptop. All you were doing was concentrating on everything that was going on. People were coming up to you because, of course, they love you, and they were coming up to say hi. You were basically ignoring them because you were so focused on the business at hand. So I called you to remind you that I was with you and that I was a witness and that you absolutely had nothing to drink. And, by the way, I hadn't either. Thank you, Roy. Uh, there are a lot of times, Roy, when this happens, you know that because we talk about it and I don't bother to even respond because if I did, I'd be spending all my time doing that. I don't know if there are a hundred lies or a thousand that have been told about me equally as bad as this one. The thing that makes this one a little bit worse, usually they're Democrats or they're, you know, they're, uh, no character, slimy Republicans like the people he had running his campaign. But uh, Jason, as you know, worked for me in my campaign for president. You remember he got into a great deal of trouble at one point, and we helped him immensely with that. And I always considered him uh, a personal friend and a person of honor. And I do not for the life of me understand why he said that. This is their narrative to protect themselves. Like I said, to protect themselves. People right now in your supposed influence movement, those heroes you put on pedestals, the people that tell you how much they love you, the people that tell you all this, you know, like Getter sending a brown nose uh, letter to the J6 committee that was, um, you know, <laughs> would you like me to read it to you? And, and quote, coming from my research team, it was, it was, it wasn't getter. It was parlor. Sorry. Parlor bent over backwards for January 6th, watching all this while they're getting fucked by the FBI selling everyone out. Right. Parlor sent a letter on March 25th, 2021. Dear chairwoman Maloney on behalf of parlor LLC, the company we write to respond to your February 8th, 2021 letter to parlor, the committee's letter and request for a voluntary production of documents. Parlor thanks the committee for the opportunity to respond and address the widespread disinformation 
campaign that big tech has wagged in the media against Parler, which appears to have piqued the committee's interest. There's no truth to the absurd conspiracy theories that have been put forth by big tech and its media allies to unfairly malign the company and which were referenced in the committee's letter. Contrary to what has been reported and is explained in more detail below, the company is always and has been American-owned in control. Parler has never engaged in any collusion with the Russians, and Parler never offered President Donald J. Trump ownership interest in the company. The committee's interest in Parler appears to stem from a coordinated and widespread disinformation campaign designed to scapegoat Parler for the riots at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, and to justify big tech's awful and anti-competitive decision to de-platform Parler just when Parler was beginning to grow in size and strength thereby representing a viable threat to big tech's strange hold on social media. As big tech companies have become more brazen in their politically biased censorship, Americans have grown increasingly alarmed and distrustful of platforms like Facebook and Twitter, abandoning them for parlors, refreshingly hands-off and viewpoint-neutral. <laughs> I can't even read the rest of this shit. Fuck you. Fuck all of those. Now, I can't. I can't read it. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I just can't. Parlor, get out of here. Parlor, get out of here, Parlor. Get out of here, all of you, every single one of them. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You know what I can't stand either? All of these right-wing idiots lying all of these alleged conservatives lying. And here's the thing. They're lying to cover their asses. It's like this. Let's pretend this happened. Let's pretend that I was allegedly uh, someone that everyone looked up to. Let's pretend the whole world had put me on this pedestal and I was awesome. And then let's pretend that, uh, you know, I was uh, <laughs> working uh you know, really, really hard on making sure that President Trump is elected again, because then that means that I get to run with him and I would be doing things. You know, if I beat this, you know, theft that Pence dropped, I win, right? Because he's going to put me right by his side, right? I get a job. I could be, I don't know, like an advisor or maybe vice president, whatever, right? So I'm going to bust my ass and I'm going to, I'm going to, bust my ass because I have so many people. My brand is awesome. To the point that I use my skills that I've learned throughout the years that are highly, you know, plotting and connected. And I'm going to use all the people that I've worked with in the past that can help me plot and connect and gather information and intelligence and organize and orchestrate. Right? So I'm going to use that. But then as I execute it, with all good intentions. Well, for me, that is, but it'll help the country anyway, too. So I just have to put up with Trump for a few years, whatever. Or maybe we'll get him out because I'll tell people he's not that good or something. Or I'll just oust him in some way. Maybe his water will be poisoning him slowly or something. You know, I'll just find something, but whatever. So I, I, I do it and then I'm like, holy shit. I did not see that coming. Fuck. All right, guys, 
we don't talk. We're all in this. It's going to go on him. Who do we, who do we put up to take the fall? This one, this one, this one, this one. Wait, but that one was the one that infiltrated us. Should we do it on the no? We have to cover that guy because that guy can connect to this guy and this guy connects to us. Oh shit. We're fucked. Everybody just shut up. We're just going to say they're making it up and it's all Antifa when we know it's not Antifa. <laughs> we all know it's not Antifa. You know, we know it's not Antifa. It's the people that you were organizing with that you thought were on the side of the people because they wanted you in that spot because that was the agreement you would have made if you had removed President Trump successfully. But you know what? Then, you know, uh, something happened. And the people that were surrounding you, the big names and the little names, all flanked and fucked off. And they left you high and dry with no money. So then you had to go find money somewhere else so you can build up, you know, so you can bring it on. You know, this is exactly what happened. And the thing is, rather than come over and say, you know, I, you know, this is it. Because let's think of it this way. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. And, you know, I've approached all these people that made this mistake with pure love and affection. And the only thing those people have done is to find out what they can get for me rather than let's help the people. It's like, what can I take from Tori that will help me? So, you know, I was just like, let me help. Let me help you. Help me help you. I can't help you if you don't help me help you. But instead of wanting me to help you, you want to take what I have and make it yours so it can help yourself. And that's not going to happen because there's no honesty there, right? Help me help you. And the more love and the more let me help you because you're failing. Let me help you because of this. It was always in a cordial way. Oh, yeah, of course. But see, I never said, hey, I'd like to help you. I'd say, hey, I, I would like help with this and it will help you. And it's like, no, I can do that if you want, but I have to have a controlling. Yeah, that's not how it works. It's mine. I need your help because you want to promote the goodness of the people. Help me. Yeah, but you know, I want a portion of this. No, I need your help so you can help me help the people. Yeah, well, you know, well, we need to get them all over here. No, I don't want to get this over here. I don't want to give you data. I don't want to give you money. I don't want to do this. I want you to help me help the people. I'll repeat, help me help the people. And it's like dead silence. I'm saying this now, and many of you might not understand what I'm talking about. It all makes sense in a few months. But I reach out to help the people, right? Help the people. Help me help the people. And in turn, that also helps you if you help the people. But I can't do that for free, Tori. And so, and this hasn't happened once or twice. It's happened again and again and again. And, and it's like slowly trying to pick off, you know, you know what was interesting? It was the first time that something like this happened was when that, um, with that salty Lulu person came out. Do you remember that guys? 
And I miss Wims. She should have, what is it, bros over hose? I feel bad. I really liked her as a friend. But anyway, um, they had created these America First audit rooms, right? And um, they tried to replicate everything we did, but to push for audits, which we know we're going to go nowhere because they're not going to hear them unless they were done in a specific way, right? And the right way, the way Steve Hertzberger has been doing for over 20 years, but, you know, it had to be done in a different way. Then we had the canvassing and everybody pitching ideas for money. It was DC all over again, but with another target right? We should do this. We should do that. We could get this. We could do that. Nah, bitches. You can't go back to the basics when you missed the basics in the beginning because you wanted to change cars with ballots that were already being done in 2018. So you already knew that they were stealing the elections with ballots, but you already knew that. And they're not going to get caught. And the judges aren't going to give it to you. And the cops aren't going to work with you because they got a job. And the mayor's not going to work with you. And this person's not going to work with you because they're not on your side. But okay, let's go chase our tails. So they created these America first audits and I'm, and I'm complaining. And then they're thumping these America first audits until I call them the fuck up. I actually, you know what, when that was going on, I called my friend Patrick Byrne and I said, I texted him some point in 2021. Hey, you've got an infiltrator within your organization. I don't know who he's with, but there's like text, video, audio of your own people. Who? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you because I don't rat. I'll give you a heads up. Maybe people should be careful because there's going to be marriages ahead and all this shit is going to come out mainstream. They're going to bite you in the ass. And by the way, why the fuck is Spider attaching himself to this movement? And what the fuck were you guys doing up in Vegas organizing more influence operations? He's like, I wasn't part of that. I was like, okay, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people. But you were there and you know what I'm talking about. And I could say this to his face. He'll tell you that. I, I think I told him that. So I literally, you know, explained that. And then, you know, months later, Salty Lulu comes out with all these things, trashing Seth Keschel where, you know, rent free and shit. But, you know, he had no, he retracted all the things that he said, but Ross story obviously used it as fact. He was just bloating himself because he was having sex. Right. And then we have Josh Merritt that claims that he worked with me. He never did. Bitch, people like you don't even get to where I am right? You don't do the things I do. I don't even talk to people like you because we're that guarded. Okay. So he's, he's lying. He went in there and then you saw in the cyber symposium that all these America first audits groups that they were doing. And then finally Patrick Byrne was like, holy shit, Tori, you're right. They're not a good thing. And he said that he has nothing to do with it. Right. But I know for a fact that a lot of people poured a lot of money to create those America first audit groups because they wanted to replicate your groups, which they can't replicate because they're grassroots. And that takes time. And I've been working on this shit to get people to do their own thing, not me manage them to do their own thing for four years. You can't copy that shit. You can pretend to. You can open up as many social media companies you want. You can give them all the fucking features you want. You can have them organizing. You can create all your causes for this and causes for that. No one's going to fucking buy into it because you're in charge of it and you're taking a piece of the cake. See, this is what I'm trying to point out to you. They have been fighting amongst each other while the big enemy has been penetrating and they've been keeping you busy. Oh, look at me. Go, come, 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 come see me. Come see me. Come see me. Come see me. Okay. Come see me because I know what I'm talking about. And then they oust the one person who I don't think was ousted in the way people think. Everyone is out for themselves. 
And oh, for all those that are out for themselves, let's just get a musical interlude quickly here before we just shift to a little bit of weekend news because I really have to get popping. Boy, look at me in my face. Tell me that you're not just about this case. Really think I could be replaced? No, I can't grow out of space. No plastic girl, I'ma hold it up. Full of something, but it ain't love. Love's about straight overdue. Find somebody new. Lies, 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 lies. Oh, that's another one. I had it lined up for. Well, you know, it says 23rd July because we're going to do a breakout on the 23rd. Now, I have to say, you know, I really admire a lot of people that have remained solid. You know, one of those is Mike Lindell. Damn, that guy. He he has created his company to be churning out more pillows so that he can fund efforts. And what 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 annoys me the most Right. Is that, you know, he created, uh, you know, the, the the way to do it. He's putting where his 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 money where his mouth is. But unfortunately, he's open for exactly what I saw in D.C. A lot of people just attaching themselves, uh, you know, coming up with like ideas. You know, people actually pitch the idea. We can create state groups. And where are they now? We have the the the, the answers to everything. Where are they now? We have this. Where are they now? And the thing is, it's so confusing right now. It's no, it's so confusing right now. It is so confusing right now for everyone. And I I urge you, when you're in this position of being bombarded, right? When you're being bombarded from all sides with a lot of information conflicting, hate this, hate that, hate this, hate that. Like, for example, like I'm being thrown into the exposing Flynn networks. When, 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 when was I part of the Flynn network that I don't know about? I talked to them. I love them. Right. But I'm not part of their network. Far from it. Far from it. So, you know, again, you know, these are people that are causing these confusions. And so many good people are falling into that pocket because they know where it originated from and they're trying to recreate the 2018 momentum that they cannot get back because the people are no more, no longer sheep that seek food. They're, (laughs) I'm sorry, the people no longer seek to be fooled. They seek food, right? People follow. Do you remember? Follow me back. Follow me back. Follow me back. Oh my God. Ah, and this person and that person, Q said this, so let's stick to that. And this, this, this is why Eric Prince cut ties like real quick. He was like, fuck this shit. I've seen Q before. Fuck it. Again, people are trying to learn themselves so they themselves can know what they can do. No one is arming you with what you can do. Just pay us and we'll fix it. We'll totally fix it. You'll totally fix it. The problem that we're having is, is that they're trying to use an influence operation on an influence operation on an influence. I feel like it's that movie. What is that movie called? Inception, is it? Where, where, um, you know, uh, they, 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 it's a dream within a dream within. How are you going to do an influence operation when you're in the middle of a one of one that they deployed 20 fucking years ago and you think you're going to fight yourself out with influence operations? The only way to fix that is with truth. 
and with reversing the programming, which is not to tell them what to think, but to give them all the tools. I mean, you could opine. I like to opine. I love opining, right? But again, it's like inception. We have all these geniuses that are trying to, you know, execute influence operations when we don't need that. You just need to arm the people with knowledge. That is the biggest weapon. Biggest weapon. Biggest weapon, you know, because like Prince was smart. He was like, you know what? I, I was here to make money. You guys failed. I I'm out. I'm going to go make money somewhere else. Wait, Tori. Well, if he was like in for money and he's out, then, 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 <laughs> then, then were they in for the money? Oh, bingo, bingo, bingo. You are the consumer and you are consumed. It's a hamster wheel. So it's, you can get off of it. Just like in that book. What is it? The great divorce. <laughs> the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Jesus said, feed my sheep, not lead my sheep. But you're all being following me. I know. Look at me. I'm posing with the president. Look at me. The president loves me. The president goes on certain shows and channels because he wants to talk to you, not because he supports them. I want to make that clear. And that's the way they work. They'll go on certain channels because they want to lead you, not because they want to feed you. Gates of hell are locked from the inside. Truth is so liberating when you give zero. F Another truth. I want to just educate you guys on Elon Musk because there's a lot of garbage going around and whatever. But this was a piece eh, kind of a little bit unfair to him. But, you know, I, I, I like him. Only because, you know, I love everyone. I don't hate people. I loathe. And not because um, of their actions. Like Pelosi, I feel for her. Even Bergie, I feel for her. He didn't have to go that way. She didn't have to go that way. None of them had to go that way, but they chose it. So you feel for them. I mean, you don't because you're not at that space yet, right? But you get at that space at some point. That's what it is to be human. And airing is human. Awesome, by the way. You guys should all have kids. <laughs> kids are great. <laughs> uh, how much do you see them? I, I don't see them enough, actually. But, but I, uh, uh, what, what I find is that I'm able to be with them and uh, still be on email. Because I don't need like constant interaction except when we're talking directly. So um, I find I can be with them and still be you know, working at the same time. Elon Musk's daughter, Vivian, formerly known as Xavier, recently petitioned a court to change her gender and her name, stating she wants to cut all ties with her father. So what kind of relationship did Vivian have with Elon? Is Vivian's gender identity the reason she doesn't want to be associated with her famous dad? Well, in newly resurfaced tweets, Elon Musk said some very problematic things about gender pronouns, and fans are now accusing him of being transphobic. So is that the reason Vivian doesn't want to be related to Elon anymore? Elon Musk fathered eight children in total. However, his first child died in infancy. Elon's first child, a baby boy, was born in 2002 during his marriage to Canadian author Justine Wilson. But sadly, the baby died of sudden infant death syndrome at the age of 10 weeks. After losing their first child, Elon and Justine decided to use IVF to expand their family. 
They welcomed twins, Griffin and Xavier, in 2004, followed by triplet sons in 2006, named Kai, Saxon, and Damian Musk. Elon and Justine divorced in 2008, and that same year, Elon started dating English actress Tallulah Riley. They married in September 2010, divorced in 2012, and then remarried in 2013. Elon proposed really quickly. The idea of being swept off your feet is appealing, and um, I'd probably have said yes to anyone that seemed half sensible if they proposed after 10 days, just because it's kind of an interesting thing to do. Um, you laughing, Dad? You know, obviously moved straight into the house with the children, and it became a very real thing immediately. In December 2014, Elon filed for a second divorce from Tallulah before withdrawing his motion. Elon and Tallulah didn't have any children together, and their divorce was finalized in 2016. But before he was officially divorced from Tallulah, Elon started dating Amber Heard. And though Elon and Amber dated for only a few months, they reportedly created frozen embryos together, which Elon allegedly wanted to destroy after the breakup, but Amber insisted on keeping. In 2021, Amber welcomed her first child, daughter Una Page, via surrogate. And because she didn't reveal the baby's paternity, a lot of people have speculated that Elon is the baby's father. However, neither Elon nor Amber have ever acknowledged these rumors. After ending things with Amber, Elon went on to date Canadian musician Grimes. And in May 2020, Grimes gave birth to their son, naming him Archangel. I mean, it's just X, the letter X. Um, and then... The A-E is, like, pronounced Ash. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, A-12, A-12 is my contribution. Oh, why A-12? Uh, Archangel 12, the precursor to the SR-71. Coolest plane ever. However, this name would have violated California law because it contained characters that are not in the modern English alphabet. So Elon and Grimes eventually changed their son's name to X-A-E-A-X-I-I, Musk. With X as the first name, A E A X I I as a middle name, and Musk as his surname. However, a little over a year after welcoming his son with Grimes, Elon confirmed breakup rumors and said he and Grimes are semi separated. Grimes and I are, I'd say, probably semi separated, Elon said. We weren't seeing each other that much, and I think that is to some degree a long-term thing, because what she needs to do is mostly in L.A. or touring, and my work is mostly in remote locations like this. In his interview with Time in December 2021, Elon said he was single and spending most of his time around Boca Chica, Texas, near SpaceX's Starbase launch facility. This place is basically like a technology monastery, you know, Elon told Time. There are some women here, but not many, and it's remote. However, in her March 2022 interview with Vanity Fair, Grimes described her relationship with Elon as fluid, and she also dropped a bombshell, revealing that in December 2021, she and Elon welcomed a baby daughter via surrogate and named her Exa Dark Sidereal. There's no real word for it. I would probably refer to him as my boyfriend, but we're very fluid, Grimes said. We live in separate houses. We're best friends. We see each other all the time. We just have our own thing going on, and I don't expect other people to understand it. Grimes also revealed that she and Elon are planning to have more children and said, we've always wanted at least three or four. So to recap, Elon has seven children in total, five sons and two daughters. However, besides the daughter he had with Grimes, Elon always referred to his other six children as boys. And this could be one of the reasons Elon's daughter, Vivian, now no longer wants anything to do with her father. 
Vivian recently filed to change her gender and her name, and she specifically mentioned her desire to distance herself from her father. Vivian, whose given birth name was Xavier Musk, turned 18 in April, and in the court documents she filed in Los Angeles County, she expressed her wish to be recognized as a female and legally change her name to Vivian Wilson. But what's interesting is that Vivian listed her reason for the name change as gender identity and the fact that I no longer live with or wish to be related to my biological father in any way, shape, or form. Screenshots of Vivian's court documents are now making rounds on social media, and fans are speculating whether Vivian decided to cut all ties with Elon because of his problematic views on gender pronouns. Neither Elon nor Vivian have ever publicly talked about their relationship. However, fans are speculating that Elon's attitude about preferred pronouns might be the reason his transgender daughter wants nothing to do with him. In June 2020, Elon tweeted, We are simultaneously being told that gender differences do not exist and that genders are so profoundly different that irreversible surgery is the only option. Perhaps someone wiser than me can explain this dichotomy. People in the comments were very quick to call out Elon, and many of them said he was being a hypocrite, considering he had quite a lot of help from the surgeons himself. One fan said, why do you care what other people do with their bodies? And why doesn't it extend to other permanent body modifications, such as piercings, tattoos, plugs, etc.? And another fan shared a before and after photo of Elon's changing hairline and wrote, if I had to guess, it's similar to this. Still the same guy as before, but needed a change to feel right about yourself. But despite the backlash, Elon kept tweeting problematic things about gender pronouns. In July 2020, he tweeted, pronouns suck. And then in another tweet, he complained about the aesthetics of pronouns, writing, I absolutely support trans, but all these pronouns are an aesthetic nightmare. But wait, pronouns are an aesthetic nightmare, and yet Elon named his son this? I mean, it's just X, the letter X. Um, and then the AE is like pronounced ash um, <laughs> yeah and then uh, a12 a12 is my contribution as one fan on Twitter put it Elon Musk really named his son a math equation and called pronouns an aesthetic nightmare and another Twitter user shared a photo of Tesla Cybertruck and said still not over Elon Musk saying pronouns were an aesthetic nightmare when his cybertruck looks like this. And now that Elon's transgender daughter has publicly stated she doesn't want to be related to her biological father in any way, shape, or form, fans are calling out Elon for being transphobic and pushing his daughter out of the family. One fan said, it's worth mentioning that if Elon Musk in any way loves his daughter, he'd stop saying transphobic sh**. I can't imagine having Elon Musk as a father and coming out as trans, one Twitter user said. He has spent the last year subtweeting his own daughter and pushing transphobia. What kind of deadbeat father do you have to be to make the life of your own child a living hell like this? And another person added, How absolutely intolerable must Elon Musk be for his daughter to cut ties with him and potentially walk away from billions of dollars in inheritance? The richest man on the planet, and no one wants anything to do with him. But Elon still has a lot of supporters who are now defending him on Twitter and saying offensive things about his trans daughter. LOL, doesn't want to be related to him, but will surely live off his fortune. Pronoun people are funny, one Twitter user said. And another one of Elon's fans added, talk about looking a gift horse in the mouth. I imagine both her parents have given her everything she's ever needed. To others, this reads as liberating, but to me, all I hear is spoiled child. But there's even more tea where that came from. So make sure, sure you, you don't, don't miss out on this next video. More tea, more tea. So they, they're a little bit unfair. 
But the point of that video was to show you that he's getting around. He's making a lot of kids and he's the one that's telling us that we're not having any kids. And now people, you know, that got the vaccine can't get it up, don't have enough sperm. Daughters are not going to be giving you any grandkids because you ran and gave them the vaccine or they might come out deformed or maybe you could just have it in a separate thing, you know, in a bubble where you don't own it and the government will let you rent some plastic bag. You could put the baby in, you know, something like that. But, you know, uh, Gender dysmorphia is real and let's not undercut that. And it could be more so that, uh, you know, it'll affect you no matter how much money you have. Let's remember that it'll affect you no matter how much money you have. I'm going to repeat it. Let's just say that. But now to end this for this, uh, segment, I want us to take a look at um, two things. One will be, hmm, assassinations on the rise. Why would someone go and take out, uh, you know, Lee Zedlin? Like, why would they try to do that? Hinkley's out. All these terrorists are out. All these assassinations going on. Was that a warning? Are they trying to tell us something? This morning, Republican Republican candidate for governor of New York, Congressman Lee Zeldin, is safe after being attacked during a campaign event last night. Zeldin's campaign says a man climbed on stage and attempted to stab him. CNN's Bryn Jengrash joins me now. Bryn, this was remarkable to see this man be able to get on stage that quickly, and luckily they are okay. And I feel like we've kind of been seeing this in all different forms, right? I mean, we've seen this in comedy, now we're seeing it on the campaign trail. Republican congressman running for New York governor on that campaign stop in Monroe County last night. I want you to watch again what happened next. This is our last stand for New York. And there's only, there's only one option. So it might have been a little hard to see from the distance there, but that video showing Representative Lee Zeldin on stage talking in front of that crowd when this man who was in the audience, according to police, walks up and swings his arm toward Zeldin's neck before the congressman grabs his other arm and then others tackle that man to the ground restraining him until authorities could get there. Now, Zeldin says that man tried to stab him. Police identified the alleged attacker as 43-year-old David Jacobonis. They say he had a weapon in his hand and said, you're done, as he approached Zeldin. Jacobonis is charged with second-degree attempted assault, and he's been arraigned. And get this, he's already out of jail on his own recognizance. Luckily, no one was hurt, and Zeldin did return to finish his campaign speech. Now, Governor Kathy Hochul, his opponent in the upcoming race, uh, said this. She's relieved to hear that Congressman Zeldin was not injured and that that suspect was taken into custody. I condemn this violent behavior in the strongest terms possible. It has no place in New York. Of course, this is something that is up for discussion on the campaign trail, right? Are all these bail reform laws and the fact that he's now no longer in jail. And of course, I mean, just terrifying incident right there in front of everybody. It's a terrifying video. And he, he has little daughters. And just to see that man be able to get up on stage that quickly is, is very scary. Yeah, yeah, there's no place for this Absolutely. in our society. Thanks, Brent. No place. Thank you so much. That's all they had to say. It's not a place for this in our society. Well, let's talk about mythology a little bit. And I wanted to end it with a little bit of food for thought. Kind of, I started with the prelude. Let's end it with another elude. There we go. Elude. Uh, there's a myth that was put together 
a mythological story about Paradise Lost, the story of Lucifer. And I want us to kind of like watch the the last like 10 minutes of this together and kind of ponder on it this weekend. It's um quite fascinating perspective. Now, you always have to think of this not literally, but symbolically, I would say. Uh, this is how you um, kind of uh, begin to compartmentalize. What you do is you, you, when you watch something or listen to something or read something, and I, and, and, and I guess maybe I, I learned this at a very young age, um, you have to see it from a literal and non-literal perspective at the same time without um, committing to any of them at the same time. How's that? Do not commit to something definitive. Sit on it, let it percolate, and then come back to it. Okay? The creations. Back, back to, to Satan, Satan, who has now found Earth. When he lands, he sees an enormous gate that has a stairway that he assumes connects earth to heaven. Satan sees God's creation in all its glory and feels an overwhelming jealousy. Drawn in by the sun, he comes across an angel standing on a hill that he recognizes as Archangel Uriel. Satan takes the form of a cherub and approaches Uriel. He lies to Uriel, telling him he has just come down from heaven, curious about this new world and its inhabitants. Uriel is unable to see past Satan's disguise, and is actually rather happy to see an angel come down from heaven with an interest in learning about this new world that God has created. He even makes the mistake of showing him paradise where Adam and Eve live. Satan thanks Uriel for sharing his knowledge and flies off into the distance with the information he came for. Satan lands on Mount Nephites as he contemplates the task ahead of him. Seeing the beauty of Eden and Paradise reminds him of a time in heaven when he still possessed his innocence. He begins to have an internal struggle. An unknown to him, Archangel Uriel is watching this unfold. He questions whether he could ever return to heaven if he was to repent, but he concludes it would never be the same, and he is now past the point of redemption. The only way forward for him is to stick to the plan of spreading evil and sin to this paradise. Uriel notices multiple different facial expressions and rapid change in demeanor, something you would never see from a cherub, as they are joyous beings. Now he begins to suspect that this cherub was actually someone trying to deceive him. He travels to heaven to inform the archangel Gabriel that one of the fallen angels may have found Eden. Together they vow to find this imposter by morning. Satan has essentially overcome his doubts and decides to enter Eden. Standing tallest of all the trees is the Tree of Life, and next to it is the Tree of Knowledge. Satan transforms himself into a bird and perches on the branches of the Tree of Knowledge. Looking down, he observes the many different animals. However, his attention is drawn to two creatures in particular that stand upright on two legs. Filled with rage and jealousy, Satan remembers why he came to paradise. 
These two beings must be the new race that was created in his fall. He watches Adam and Eve and overhears their conversation. Adam is telling Eve that she must be obedient to God, because this paradise is only possible because of him. She shouldn't complain about the work they have to do, because it means they can roam and freely explore this paradise with only one rule, never to eat the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge. As night falls, Gabriel and the other angels begin to search the garden, They find Satan who has switched his disguise from a bird to a toad and they bring him before Gabriel. He immediately sees through this disguise and recognizes Satan, demanding to know what business he has in the Garden of Eden. Satan tells Gabriel that he means no harm and they have no reason to suspect anything else. Gabriel once again is not convinced Not willing to deal with any more of Satan's lies, he tells him that he will send him back to hell if he does not confess. All this threat succeeds in doing is enraging Satan to the point of a physical confrontation. As both angels posture, they are interrupted by a pair of golden scales, a sign from heaven. Knowing his own strength as well as Gabriel's, Satan interprets these scales as a sign he cannot win this battle, and so he decides to flee. In book 5, we have an interaction between Adam and Eve where she describes a dream she had. In this dream, Eve was woken by voices that she could hear coming from the Tree of Knowledge. Following the whispers, she then sees what she believes is an angel eating fruit from the tree. The angel encourages Eve to taste herself. Here, happy creature, fair angelic Eve, partake thou also. Happy thou though art, happier thou mayst be. Worthier canst not be. Taste this, and be henceforth among the gods, thyself a goddess not to earth confined. The angel is trying to persuade Eve by insinuating she could become a goddess by merely tasting the fruit. Before Eve is able to do so, the angel disappears and she wakes from her dream. Adam is fairly concerned, but does his best to reassure Eve that this was just a dream and not an indication of the future, because Eve, just like Adam, has free will, the gift given by God. At this point, God is fully aware of Satan's plan, however he still believes his human creation can exercise their free will. He sends for the archangel Raphael, instructing him to go to Eden and explain why the fruit is forbidden, or at least explain the differences between food that is considered earthly and heavenly. At least then it has been explained to them, When Satan comes, both Adam and Eve know that eating from the tree is forbidden. If they choose to exercise their free will knowing this, then their punishments are their own. Raphael does explain these differences to Adam, who in turn is expected to relay this information to Eve. When Adam questions why any creature of God would willingly disobey him, Raphael tells him the story of Satan and his fall from grace as a cautionary tale. Heaven was always a place of peace, 
until the day God announced he had created a son that he wished to rule with him. One angel in particular took issue with this and voiced his frustration. So I just wanted to interject for a second, just a little bit of clarity here, because I'm I'm actually following the chat, even though it's 30 seconds behind uh, uh, the stream, uh, the way it is. But I want you guys to understand that when Satan was looking at Earth and was looking at um, uh, Adam and Eve, he heard Adam telling Eve that she must be obedient. And if you remember, it was Satan that was disobedient because he wanted to be acknowledged. He wanted to be loved. He wanted power uh, that got him cast out anyway. And so he aligned himself with Eve only because she was being treated the same way he felt he was being treated. I hope that makes sense because people were like, oh, he could only get through to Eve and not to Adam. I want you to think of it like jealous siblings. Right. And, you know, when you see the younger sibling being told off by the older sibling and you were the eldest, but you were ousted, you know, you're going to go to the younger sibling. And remember, it was at that point that Satan thought to himself, well, if I redeem myself, will I be able to go back and have that innocence and and feel good again? I, I want you to listen to the mythology that spills into many stories throughout time. With an objective perspective, of course. But keep that in mind. I'm, I'm trying to help you see the objective perspective. All right, let's just pretend like, you know, okay, so he was God's child, right? And then he's been ousted. He's evil. He's bad. He's really pissed off. And then he sees these two. And then he sees the one being treated by Adam. Adam was treating Eve like he felt he was treated by his brothers or his father, so he would identify, uh, you, you know, taking a step back, forgetting what we're really what the characters are. Try to put into perspective to real life applications that you have knowledge of. You know, maybe you didn't have a sibling, but you had a cousin or a friend or, you know, a click in school. Think of it that way. I want you guys to really remove yourself from the actual. That's so dumb, right? You're listening to a story that you have to remove yourself from. But this is the way you create an objective compartmentalized perspective by trying to say, all right, well, you know, I can kind of get that. Forget everything you've learned. Look at yourself and try to understand what this is telling you. Because then when you read things on paper, listen to stories with your ears or see events happen with your eyes, you will able to surmise that with your experience. You have an ample amount of experience. Even if you're 10 years old, you still have your 10 years of experience that can that you can find ways to quasi-relate to the situations that you're observing. I hope that helps. ...and anger, that angel would be stripped of his heavenly name and for his disobedience he would be known as Satan. As one of God's most loyal and trusted angels, Satan believed he deserved to rule alongside God, and thus the rebellion began. Satan convinced a third of the angels to join his cause and contest the rule in heaven. A rebellious angel by the name of Abdiel eventually saw the error of his ways and tried to convince Satan that this was not a battle that could be won. Abdiel then asked God for forgiveness, which was granted, showing that for those who seek it, there will always be redemption. 
This discussion continues on into Book 6, where Raphael discusses the war in heaven in some more detail. It ends with Raphael telling Adam that Satan and the other fallen angels have already begun plotting the fall of mankind. He wishes to lead Adam and Eve down the path of sin. They must be weary and fearful of Satan, but they must also be brave enough to resist him. In book 7 and 8, Adam inquires about the creation of the world, and Raphael agrees to explain. After the fall of Satan and the other rebellious angels, God wished to fill these absent places, and so he found an empty part of the universe devoid of life and created the earth. If mankind showed obedience and belief in God's will, then there would be a day when the earth and heaven become one. This rather long discussion ends with Raphael returning to heaven. In Book 9, we see Satan's return to the Garden of Eden, avoiding the angels who are watching the walls. Satan's disguise of choice this time is a serpent. When Adam and Eve wake up the next morning, they begin their workload. However, with much to do, Eve suggests that they perform separate tasks, so they could finish double the work in the same amount of time. Reluctantly, Adam agrees, and they both go off in separate directions. When Satan finds Eve, she's alone, which makes his plan much easier to accomplish. The serpent calls out to Eve and seduces her, claiming the fruit is what gave him his intellect and the ability to speak. Knowing the fruit is forbidden, Eve attempts to resist. However, the serpent continues to flatter her with compliments of her beauty. Satan continues by asking, Why would God forbid the fruit unless it possessed some kind of power that he wanted to keep for himself? Eve reached out, and from the tree she plucked an apple. Surely some fruits couldn't do any harm. Adam's claims must have been exaggerated. And so she took a bite of the apple, expecting to feel something wonderful. And she did feel invigorated at first, but soon this turned into a horrible feeling. The feeling of instant regret. Not knowing what to do, Eve searched for Adam. If she convinced him to also eat the fruit, then their sin would be equal. When she explained everything to Adam, his choices were very simple. If he wished to remain with Eve, then he must also consume the fruit to ensure they suffer the same fate. And so Adam also ate the fruit, and just like Eve, he felt its positive effects to begin with. The two end up having sex and falling asleep under the tree. When they wake, they are met with an overwhelming guilt and shame. It's clear to them that they may have just lost their paradise forever. They cover their naked bodies in leaves, and it's not long before they turn on each other, blaming one another for their fall from grace. In Book 10, the angels return to heaven to inform God of what has transpired in the garden, but he is fully aware having observed the entire thing. They try to share the blame here as they fail to stop Satan entering the garden, but God absolves them of any guilt as he allowed this to happen. He tells them that he will send his son down to the earth to punish the sinners. When he arrives, he asks Adam and Eve if they ate from the tree. 
Adam admits that he did after Eve gave him the fruit, and Eve tells him that she was tricked into doing so by the serpent. Punishing all three parties here, the sun states that from now on, serpents will be cursed to forever crawl on their belly, never to rise. The children of Adam will be forced to labor all day and hunt for food. The children of Eve will give birth in pain and be forced to submit to their husbands. However, the seed of Eve will take vengeance upon the serpent. Satan begins his journey back to hell victorious. Awaiting him are death and sin. Believing in their father, they have already finished creating the bridge, making the journey from hell to earth much faster. As Satan leaves paradise, his children congratulate him on the outskirts. Sin vows to corrupt the minds of humankind, and death will infect all living things, causing them to die. When Satan returns to pandemonium, he calls out, telling stories of his victory. However, he does not receive the reception he expected. No one is cheering. The only thing he can hear is the sound of hissing. All of the demons have been transformed into snakes as punishment. Hell is now full of trees containing fruit. Whenever the snakes try to eat from these trees, the fruit turns to ash. Meanwhile, as promised to their father, sin and death arrive on the earth. God tells his angels that he will allow sin and death to remain there until judgment day, where they must return to hell and serve their eternal punishment with their father. He also informs the angels the earth will no longer be a perfect paradise. Humans will now have to endure extreme cold and blistering heat. Animals begin to turn on each other, and some now even see Adam and Eve as food. In Book 11, it is the Archangel Michael who is given the task of expelling Adam and Eve from Eden. Although they can no longer live in paradise, if Adam and Eve continue to live an honest and moral life, then upon death they will be reunited with God in heaven. Hearing their remorse, God also decides that his own son will be humanity's biggest advocate and will end up paying for their sins. Before Michael expels Adam and Eve from Eden, he shows Adam the future of humanity, the events that will transpire before the Great Flood. In Book 12, Michael discusses the future of mankind after the Flood. By the end of this discussion, Adam is relieved to know that despite these acts of sin, there will always be redemption. Adam and Eve are escorted from the gates of Paradise to this new world, knowing that Paradise may have been lost, but hope still remained. So that was a story. That was just a story, a novel, another perspective of trying to make sense of stories told from a long, long time ago. Now, in closing, here's a story. Here's the founder of a secret society, a secret society that ousted Tiffany Trump, a secret society. Well, I'll be dropping that article this weekend because you'll be surprised. The grooming 
is amongst children. Their children. Would be saying about our president. Uh, you knew well, I knew well, you knew well. Um, that you speak of in the past tense, which is mm-hmm. fairly amusing to me. Um, I think she would be going through what anyone who had a personal or has a personal relationship is going through, that the person that we saw isn't the person that any of us knew. Agreed. And that became a very difficult thing to get your mind around. Very hard. Um, I think my mother would just be terribly upset at how much unhappiness and anger and hatred there is in the world right now. It's very disturbing. But as a comedian, she'd have a feeling. Well, right now, across the board, it is Hanukkah and Christmas every day <laughs> for the comedians. You, you put on CNN in the morning and <laughs> your monologue is written for the take, next take night. Take the tweet. Yeah, exactly. But you've known the whole Trump family, right? The kids. You've yes, known all. yes. But don't you find that a very difficult thing to rectify? It is. It is. And very confusing. We and- were fathers of the year together, Donald and I. At the Waldorf Astoria, the honors we had the kids there. Yeah, and it's it's a, it was a very hard thing to sort of yeah. deal with. But we all know that my mother always felt that women were better at everything than men. She'd have been out there for Hillary. Well, oh, women, yeah. yeah. Watch new episodes of Larry King now Monday. Uh, yeah, Wednesday. but they still got rid of her. She had too much of a big mouth at her old age to be like, "I'm tired of this." Well, as we see, the heat is definitely on. See you this weekend. Oh